Today's episode of the Mets Up Podcast is sponsored by Anchor. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. First off, that's huge. And that's what we use here on the Mets Up Podcast. I highly suggest it. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your own phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many other streaming services. And you're allowed to make money from your podcast from day one with no minimum listenership. It's literally everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So make sure you guys download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Episode number 15 of the Metzed Up Podcast, and it is, it's a roller coaster of emotions. We're kind of doing this weird thing on the podcast where we have these highs, we have these lows, we got dips, we got ebbs, we got flows, and right now, it's definitely a little bit down. We just finished up a three-game series against the Tampa Bay Rays, and like the other host of this podcast, James, said last week, There's a chance that the Rays are going to pants us. There's a chance they're going to embarrass us. Very good chance we're going to get swept. And what do you know? The Rays swept us. And outside of game one, it wasn't really close. So there's definitely some things to talk about in this series, as there always is. Good things, bad things, some injuries that are very concerning right now with this New York Mets team. But I don't think that we're necessarily down. I don't think that we're necessarily feeling negative. It's just that there are a few causes for concern, and more so as the team structure and the team roster as a whole is where it really comes down to. So you guys know what we do over here on the Mets Up Podcast. Always talking Mets here after every single series. Make sure you follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Mets Up, as well as we got the YouTube videos out again now. So if you're not subscribed to the YouTube channel, Mets Up Podcast, just search it. You'll be able to find every single episode that we've made a video for. We're back on the grind there. We got me and James again in person here, which I feel like always adds a little nice wrinkle to it. And if you're listening, it should sound crisp. It should sound good. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, anywhere you got podcasts, that's where you can find us. James, how are you feeling? I mean, you, you kind of called it. You hit the nail right on the head. The Rays embarrassed us this weekend. Not good. I did kind of call it. This is the worst thing to be right about because I don't want the Mets to play poorly. I don't want the Mets to lose games. I really don't like seeing the Mets get swept. And they it was worse than being swept. We got pantsed. The Mets were more or less embarrassed for their last, I don't know, 14, 15 innings of baseball. It wasn't even close. It was an altogether awful series, and the entire tide shifted, I felt like, game one later in the game during like the late-game decision with Peterson. Yeah, so game one, that's where we'll get it started as always. Peterson versus Glasnow, and on mm-hmm. paper, you're going, the Rays are winning this game. You have one of the best pitchers with some of the best stuff in baseball going up against David Peterson, who's been shaky this year. But, you know, same thing, a little bit of roller coaster with him. We got a great David Peterson for about seven innings. He had 85 pitches going into the eighth. He was looking sharp against this Rays lineup that does just eat up left-handed pitching. And then he came out for the eighth, which that's fine. I didn't agree with it. And the reason that I didn't agree with it, and I think a lot of people are going to give me crap for this, but you really have to break it down, at least in my eyes. David Peterson going into the eighth inning on 85 pitches or Trevor May, Miguel Castro, whoever it's going to be fresh. Who do you trust more? And to me, the obvious and clear answer is I'm going Trevor May or Miguel Castro. David Peterson's not Jacob deGrom. He's not Marcus Stroman. He's not Taiwan Walker even. He is a back end of the rotation pitcher for us. And I think, especially in a raised lineup, a guy like Zunino destroys left-handed pitching this season thus far. It seemed like to me that the Mets were trying to be a little bit too aggressive knowing that there was a bullpen game coming up, trying to save these arms. But in reality, in baseball, you got to take it one game at a time. While it didn't make a huge difference, he gave up the home run to Zunino, he has to be out of the game after that. I I agree with you to a degree. I agree with your entire logic of what you said about 
Peterson being a little bit dicey getting into the eighth inning, but this was the best version of David Peterson we've ever seen on Friday night. When Zunino came to the plate, I believe he had just retired 17 batters in a row. No, he was he was, was just on freshly fire. off retiring 17 batters in a row. For the first time all season, he focused on his fastball, the four-seamer, and the slider, as opposed to the sinker, as we've known him his entire career as a sinker-heavy guy. And he was dousing of that four-seam fastball. The 28% whiff rate. That's something we have not seen from David Peterson. Well, he definitely had his good stuff. Yeah, so with an adjustment like that I understand the logic of leaving him in there but I agree with you 100% the second that ball leaves Mike Zunino's bat Luis Rojas should have been out of the dugout on the mound taking the ball there's no way in the world he should have been allowed to pitch to Kevin Padlow no, no. and the fact that there wasn't even a guy warming up to start the inning is also bonkers that's, yeah, that, that that's nuts doesn't, doesn't make any sense that's just simply again we've seen this happen with Rojas and I would hope that the pitching coach Hefner or the bench coach who's ever there gets in his ear it seemed like it was a conscious effort to not have anybody warming up, which is so bizarre in it the was, But inning. he did cite the fact that he had made those three guys look awful the entire game, which was true. Yes. But this is a tight game. You have to play precise baseball to beat the Rays, especially in a game when Tyler Glass now is pitching. And this, this was just something that we alluded to in the last episode is that this was Rays baseball. The Rays wait for you to make a mistake, and they jump on you. And that's exactly what happened that inning with Peterson with that pad low double. Yeah, no, it just was not... The best decision-making, again, leave him in for Zunino, whatever. I'm not going to kill him for that one, but I will be upset about the pad low double. That was very preventable. That's the problem. We have we pay Trevor May, we pay Miguel Castro for these situations. They are our seventh, eighth-inning guys. As good as Peterson was that game, I think we tried to be a little too cocky with trying to think ahead for the bullpen game, and we gave away a game here because, of course, the Mets ended up losing this game. It's just it was it was so frustrating. It felt so good to get those runs off of Glass now, especially because the offense has been shaky. It's been better, but it's been shaky still. To get runs off Glass now, who is just straight up without a doubt one of the most talented pitchers in baseball, I was like, damn, maybe this Mets team really is as good as we think. Because being able to do that's what a good baseball team does. But we we blew it. Dude, the key to getting runs off glass now, which has become a theme of this team in the last few weeks that we've been playing very well, is the bottom of the order is continuing to hit. Like, shockingly so, the Alar brothers, Jonathan VR and Kevin Pillar, they've been probably our two best hitters over the last three weeks. Bench mob. Bench, Bench mob, mob stepping up. And what's funny is, like, those guys with the numbers, even, like, in the OPS department, aren't even doing that well. So it's funny to say that they've been our best or one of our best. They've been super clutch, though. Can't deny that. Like, VR's home run was huge for us. Yeah, definitely. I wouldn't put them on my fantasy team. No. But the way that they're hitting, I would call it timely hitting. So, had the 2-2 game then, after the eighth inning. May came in, gave up the run from Padlow, which... We got unlucky. We, it was tough. The hit down the line. What are you going to do? The ball was smoked. Was it Was it Adamas? No, it was um, your boy, Manny. Manny? Manny Margot. Oh, yeah. Oh, God, I and forgot. That was after he had the Rosarena line out and a yeah. very nice like little scoop line drive that uh, VR made. Yeah. I'm singing more praise for Johnny VR. Dude, can Manuel Margot just fuck off? Jeez, this dude becomes Mike Trout when he plays the Mets. He's a marginally bad hitter when he's playing otherwise he's fine it's about league average left kills left-handed pitching that's for sure can't deny that but right-handed pitching he's bad he's not good but against the Mets he something clicks he owns us and he continued to do it and it started in game one he's the guy who I had said for years and I've told you this before the guy I wish the Mets would have made a move for at some point in the last three seasons his value was low because he can't really hit despite the fact that he's an elite center fielder he's elite speed he would have been a perfect fit on this team. And now it's almost like he continues to rake on the mess just to spite us. Oh, he spites us hard. We just get screwed every single time we play him. 
he turns into a better player than he truly is. But that's also, I think, the little glimmer of why people were so hype on him and why you saw his name in Noah Syndergaard trade talks, which, craziness, that's an insane trade. It was Margot and Hedges for Syndergaard, which, thank God, the incompetent Mets offices of past did not make that trade. Although maybe it would have helped us today because Margot just kills us. Trades like that, this is a weird tangent about Manuel Margot, but I think he's given his due after the way he crushed us this series, and he has forever. But great fielding center fielders are few and far between in Major League Baseball. And yeah. the Rays have two of them, arguably three, if you include the Rosarino, who's probably an average defensive center fielder. Yeah, I mean, Margot and... Well, they have they have three, Kiermaier yeah, and Phillips. Brett Phillips oh, yeah, is a Phillips, great defensive center Phillips. fielder. Yeah, Phillips, the guy who walked us off. I actually yeah, forgot about which him. leads us to the ninth because Castro just didn't have it no. for what seemed like a second, third straight appearance. Yeah. Been a little shaky. That's going to happen. We knew he wasn't going to be lights out all year. That's not truly who Miguel Castro is, but we're saw, we saw the glimpses of what he could become. I think he's going to be fine. The walk to Brandon Lau was, was tough. It was. You can't walk guys in, in, like, in the meat of this Rays order and expect to get away with it. But the worst part was the real back-breaking blow was the single by Adamas. And that was on a pitcher's pitch. He made a good pitch. Yeah, it was a slider on the black. And you just have to kind of tip your cap to Willie, who also had a very good series. Wally Adams killed us. I could not believe how he had. He's had such a bad season the entire year. And of course, he got hot today and this weekend against the Mets. It can't be a very comfortable feeling looking over your shoulder and seeing Wander Franco there. Yeah. Like the greatest prospect grade Fangraphs has ever given out. Which it seems like it's almost maybe got the fire going with him a little bit because this weekend everyone's talking Wander Franco and yeah. Willie Adam is like, hey, I still exist. Like, remember, I can be good. Yeah, he's good. Fine field. He made a couple great defensive plays too. It's a very good problem to have that the Rays have where the most premium positions on the field, be that middle infield and center field, they have surplus talent, which yes. not many teams in baseball can say, which is another reason why we were so scared about this series. Yeah, it was just, they, they play good baseball. They really do. Whether you like the way that they do it or not, you cannot deny that the Rays get the most out of their players. And on paper, this team shouldn't compete. They should not compete with the Mets. The Mets should should run them over if you just look at player by player, you look at individual stats. But when they put these guys together in the way that they play baseball and the way that they use them, it makes it very, very hard. I think the way Friday night's game ended actually very well embodies that because Loop came in after Castro's, it was three, maybe four batters. I don't know. Whatever. Yeah. It was one out possibly, first and third. Yeah. And he had to face Joey Wendell. If you ask the average person who is a baseball fan they'll have nothing to say about Joey Wendell which is fair yeah but the guy plays incredible defense no batting gloves he finds a way to get on base and Loop actually had a pretty good plan of attack and getting him out but Brett Phillips and I heard his interview after the game watching that uh Joey Wendell at bat he made a plan in the ba- in the on deck circle I'm gonna swing at the first pitch and just like what happened to Wendell Loop grooved the fastball first pitch and all Phillips did was just laid into the outfield for the game-winning single. That's smart baseball. Yeah, and Brett Phillips is not a particularly good hitter. No. He is strictly on that team because he plays a great defensive center field and he has an absolute cannon of an arm. And he takes walks. And he takes walks. So for him to get a hit, rubbing even more salt into the wound because it's like he's a lifetime like 120 hitter. He's yeah. just not particularly good at the plate. As you said, it's the perfect embodiment of raised baseball. They did all the little things when it mattered, and the Mets didn't. That's what it came down to. They didn't. They jumped on the one mistake, the two mistakes that David Peterson made the entire game. Before we put a bow on game one, I just wanted to quickly just reference the Tyler Glass now trade. Yeah. That gets mentioned every single time he reaches the mound, which yes. is super funny. Neil Huntington deserves a medieval punishment for that trade. He should be, every single Pirates fan should be able to throw a stone at him. No, literally, he should be stoned in the public square. Like, <laughs> we, should, just... we should pull back some, like, real medieval shit. He, or maybe, like, you know, the barracks that they used to put the guys yeah. in jail? Yes. He should be able to stand there, and Pirates fans should be able to berate him. He's just like, there's no way that you can look at that trade. It does. It, honestly, 
everything could end. Baseball could be over, and that trade is still bad. It, you don't even need to see Glasnow's full career and Meadows' full career. It's yeah. a horrendous trade, and they've been there for what, like 160, 170 games? 2018 trade deadline. Yeah, okay. So then they've been there for yeah, a f- 2019, a full almost two, two full seasons, mm-hmm. with including the 60 games and what we've had this year. So bad. Awful. You want to talk about some bad Mets trades? Never got that bad. Not even close. No. So... Game one, frustrating. Really, really frustrating because that was a winnable game, but the Mets blew it. But if you have to take a positive from game one, if we see the new fastball slider, David Peterson, this guy actually could be a weapon and has a much, much higher ceiling than me, Mark, or probably any other Mets fan thought. Yes. So keep an eye out next David Peterson start. If he's still gassing fastballs high in the zone, this is a new man, and that's something we can hang our hat on moving forward. Definitely. And now leading into game two, it's not stop planes right now. I'm leaving this part in. There have just been planes flying over us for what feels like the last 15 minutes that we've been recording. We're only two miles from LaGuardia. Yeah, but it's just nonstop. It's like little jet planes. All the rich people going back to the Hamptons or wherever they're doing. Game two, roller coaster. Because the Mets started off hot. And we had a weird start as well because Drew Smith got the opener roll, came out, pitched two innings, two hits, one run. And like he kind of got like dinked and doinked a little bit. It wasn't even really like a great hard hit run. Three Ks. Really good stuff. Drew Smith looked great. Well, the run, it was a small ball run. It was a first and third steal play, yeah. which you won't see anyone in Major League Baseball break that out. And it's ironic that all the shit we've been giving James McCann need those spikes of ball at second base and allows a run to score, which is just kind of funny. I couldn't even believe he actually even threw that ball. I thought for sure that's one you just eat. Yeah, or you do the old jump in front of the bag. Yeah. If Peraza would have done that, he would have caught the ball in the air and everything would have been okay. So it was, it was a bit weird, but Drew Smith looked really good. And Drew Smith continues to get himself a little bit higher and higher in the pecking order in that bullpen as a guy that we should be using in legitimate situations. Now, this is firmly a Drew Smith podcast. We love Drew Smith. We stand Drew Smith Drew here. Drew Flow. And then Lucchese came in. Yep. And Joey Lucchese actually had a clean first inning. I think he, he threw 10 or clean. 11 pitches. He which struck, struck out the first batter. Yeah, which is just, that's, anytime that happens, you should, that's it. Chalk it up as a W. Take it. But I understand what the Mets were doing in their plan. They need to get multiple innings out of Lucchese to then get us to Sean Reed Foley. And I actually think they talked about on the broadcast. It was smart that he opened with Drew Smith and then went to Lucchese because he was like, we want him to put in his left-handed batters to face Drew Smith. Mm -hmm. And then we can have Lucchese come in to face essentially the left-handed batters in that lineup. It didn't, it worked in the first inning, but the Rays, Lucchese is not nearly good enough to face them for more than an inning. And even then, we have to stop pitching Lucchese in games that we have a chance to win. It's either 15 nothing we're winning, 15 nothing we're losing. Joe Lucchese is just simply not good. There's another take that I, was, I feel very correct about and vindicated for that I'm upset to be right about, but he's just not very good at all. No. There's, he, he goes out there with nothing. Just nothing. Nothing at all. And- 90 and that churve. I, we've been saying one time through the order, it is strictly now three batters. Like Maybe six, maybe. Yeah. But it's a little bit disappointing. I, I don't even know what the word is, that the Mets didn't haven't had Yamamoto lined up for any of these games. Like I think at this point, it is well worth giving Yamamoto the Lucchese innings, the two or three innings, and seeing if he can get out. At least, if you don't have good stuff, I'd rather there be six pitches than two. I was just about to allude to that. You've been saying, like at least he has more yeah. pitches. None of them, again, are particularly good, no. but... With Lucchese, you can legitimately sit fastball churve. And the churve, let's be honest, like really isn't even that good. Actually, you can just sit churve because you can adjust to a 90-mile-an-hour yeah, fastball. That's not an issue for major league hitters. No, he, not at all. I have no confidence that he can get more than seven consecutive hitters out. None. Yeah, it's he, he kind of screwed us there because we got off to a really good start. We were scoring runs. We were hitting the ball well. We were Peraza. getting to McClanahan. Peraza has been so good for us. He's been a great little fill-in here. And 
seems like he might be filling in a little bit more after what we saw in game three. But he's been really solid for us. Very I don't solid. I don't want him out there every day. I still want Jeff McNeil. But again, as the backup, we mentioned in the last episode, good good little guy, bench mob again, really helping us out. I like that he adds a slightly different element to this lineup where he's a faster guy, he's a contact-oriented guy. It's not necessarily the most valuable skill set, and I don't think it would benefit us for Jose Peraza to wind up playing 100 games, getting 400, no 400 plate appearances. No. But he does something valuable at the bottom of the order that I think could help us keep this train rolling for the next couple of weeks. I don't even want to say that. Yeah, no, that three-run home run by him put us in a good spot. Alonzo got a home run, I think, too, off of McClanahan. Yeah, that was good for Pete. Was which happy. was good for Pete yeah. in his hometown. Mm-hmm. He had a golden sombrero the night before, and I think he even struck, struck out on his first time, at bat. Yeah. So five, five straight. Yeah. It was tough. Got on the board there with a the homer, and things were looking good. But then Lucchese came in, screwed us. Sean Reed Foley came in and did Sean Reed Foley stuff again. He was not as good as the other appearances, but he was fine. He was solid. He kept it close. Tommy Hunter came in. Tommy Hunter looked really solid again, which problems that we're having with the Mets bullpen here, it seems like we're getting a lot of guys that can be used in situations like this because Tommy Hunter coming in and giving us, what, two innings I think he gave us? Mm-hmm. and only, Did he allow a run? I don't believe so. I don't think so. Don't he might have like gotten us into a little trouble or got out of it, whatever it was. We were a little bit disgruntled in the middle of this game. Yeah, we were a little disgruntled because of just where it was and where it ended up being after Lucchese, so... That's the main focus. But Tommy Hunter, again, fine, good, whatever. The bullpen guys did their job all except Lucchese up until that point. And then our boy Jacob Barnes looked a little bit more like Jacob Barnes again. That was not good. No. One quick comment about Reed Foley that he, his stuff wasn't, didn't really probably look as sharp this game because his velocity was down across the board. He has been getting a lot of work in down in Syracuse. So this might have just been like a not enough rest situation. I think the last time he pitched was following... I want to say yeah, Moto Star, but I'm not positive about that. But his fastball was down almost two miles an hour. His slider was down a whole two miles an hour on his yearly averages, and that made him look very, very mortal. He only had two whiffs in the game, which is far below his season average. So I'd like to make sure that Sean Reed Foley has that velocity back next time out because this could be an injury fear or something going on. Yeah, it seems like that happened with a lot of Mets pitchers. Velo is down. Is this a crazy comment? But like maybe the guns are a little different in Tampa than what we've yeah. got going on in New <laughs> York. Been, the bad track, man. Are, they, are we closer to sea level? Is there something going on there in Tampa? We're a little lower elevation. <laughs> the yeah, the dome even. Who knows? Jacob Barnes, though, didn't record an out. Yeah. That was not good. No. Not good. Familia then came in, tried to clean it up, looked human. He... Again, I don't feel like anybody really still hits the ball hard off of him, but they're just finding it. Hits, hits, hits is kind of what I put in the notes because I think he gave up like three in an inning, which feels like kind of the the theme for him this year is hits. But it was a, it was a lost cause that game at that point. It was just a very deflating game after Lucchese blows the hard work that the Mets did. <laughs> it just it was very deflating, especially after the Mets had an early lead. The Met, I was surprised to see the Mets get to McClanahan. Even though they hit a couple bombs off him, you could just see how electric his stuff is. So good. Like this guy, sooner rather than later, going to be one of the better pitchers in baseball. That 98 from the left side is like shocking. This Tough. is this is what everyone thought Stephen Matz was supposed to be. Yes, with Shane McClanahan, and yeah. it's not even close. No. Unless he's playing the Phillies and he's on the Blue Jays, but we don't have to talk about that. Lindor got a homer, and I think there's something to note there that he hit another homer right-handed, and he's just been so much better as right-handed batter this year as opposed to left. At the left side, he looks lost. He has like a 550 OPS, super small sample size, so you can't dig too much into it. But I think it is noteworthy that he has looked so much better right-handed than he has lefty. couple homers. OPS is around 900. I don't know. Is, is this... And he's not like a guy for his career either who's been significantly better one way or the other. 
just seems like something's off left-handed. He's looked, he looked lost this weekend again. Something important to note about Lindor, and that's something that people like Keith, people on Twitter, professionals have mentioned about why he's struggling, is mechanics. So when you have bad mechanics as a switch hitter, you need to work on two different sets of mechanics. So he may have found his groove so far from the right side, but he's still struggling to get that with the left, which I think just from the eye test is something that is true. Yeah, he's not looking good from the left-hand side like at all. No. He's got, I think, just as many extra base hits or close to it from the right-hand side and about 70 less plate appearances. Wow. Um, so that's it's not great. Overall, bad game. Not a whole lot to yeah, talk about there, not, positive. There's nothing really fun to talk about in this game at all. We didn't even have a starting pitcher, so I can't break anything down. No. We didn't really get many hits after, what, like the fifth inning? Yeah, it was it was Lindor's home run. No, that was, was about it. It was gross. And the Rays just jumped on us. They literally we got bum-rushed. Jumped down our throats. They got to our bad pitching, which yeah. it, it was, again, it was our C-team lineup out there. When you're going, Lucchese, Reed Foley, Jacob Barnes, you're usually thinking you're losing that game, or you're up by 25 runs, so... Whatever. Yeah, the Mets are short three aces right now. We can't really understate that fact. This rotation looks a lot different with Jacob DeGrom, Noah Syndergaard, and Carlos Carrasco in it. Yeah. So I think a reason not to be terrified or panicky about this team's play this weekend specifically and moving forward because you don't have those three guys. It's like the Mets are going to have two, well, not not well, only two because DeGrom's pitching all year and hopefully yeah. he pitches next week given the bullpen he's going to throw on Tuesday, a team announced today. But you got two hammers coming in. It'll be like two massive trade deadline acquisitions that enter this team in the next couple of weeks, hopefully. Yeah, hopefully. Knock on the wood. Yeah, game two is bad. Game yeah. two Game two was another one of those where you circled and you go, it's probably a loss. Mm. But then we had game three today. And game three was one that was very winnable. Yep. This was one that you felt good going into it. Strowman's looked sharp all season. He'd been great. He's been a really, really solid number two. We've been hyping him up all podcast episodes. Like We, we love Strowman over here. Just it wasn't good, and it got off to a decent start. Yeah. McNeil back in the lineup, got a hit, but also then left the game. Yeah, it, it felt like this entire team was deflated once this third inning rolled around. Conforto and McNeil had both left with hamstring injuries. Which is not good, especially because no. Conforto went into the dugout and spiked his helmet, which yep. how many times have you seen Michael Conforto show any sort of emotion? Literally never. The man is a, a wall of nothingness, but... He got. He was pissed, and usually when a player does that, they know their body well. That usually means not just a quick 10-day IL stint, probably going to be something somewhat serious. We had to guess. I don't think we have any info on that yet, no. right? That was the same reaction from Cattell Marte when yeah. he was thing tore. He was pounding on the ground. You hate seeing a player pound on the ground. The only player who I don't hate seeing that from is Ronald Acuna Jr., because he does that every single time he stubs his toe. Yes. It was... Uh, it was down, it was a super, super down game, and it didn't help that Stroman was off, for yeah. sure. He did not give us a chance to win today. Something was Either something was wrong with Marcus Stroman, or he was just having one of those days. Either ways, the product wasn't very good. Some he know The Rays know him well from pitching the American League most of his career. His numbers against them are pretty bad overall. They have 88 hits and 80 and two-thirds career innings off him. He has a 67 to 28 strikeout-to-walk ratio, which is well below his career average. And altogether, that he has a 4.35 ERA and 1.43 WHIP against Tampa. Those are pretty bad numbers. You can't yeah. expect to win many games pitching like that. No, it's hard, yeah. and like especially when the Mets lose Conforto and McNeil in the game, so the offense is even weaker than it's already been because we still have Pilar, VR, Peraza, all these guys in there. It's going to be tough to score runs, especially against the Rays, who have one of the best pitching staffs in the league. Starting bullpen, they're going to play the matchups. They. The reason the Rays do so well is because of this pitching. It all starts there from them, and it's because they make you uncomfortable every single at-bat of the game. They pitch you perfectly, they have the scouting report, and with a depleted Mets lineup, it makes it even harder. 
It was crazy that in a four-run game, the Rays were able to bring Diego Castillo in to face the bottom of the order in the sixth inning. Nuts. Diego That's Cast- not fair. You're Diego not Castillo's sick. He's, He's so amazing. good. Oh. And he faced the bottom of the order in the sixth inning. Yeah. It- a four-run game at the time. Yeah. And then, if I could just jump back to Stroman, give a little pitch breakdown. Yeah, let's, let's right hear the now. Stroman breakdown because yeah. he didn't look good and there has to be a reason why. No, well, the biggest thing that happened to Marcus Stroman today was his sinker was eviscerated. The two hardest hit balls of the whole game, the Manny Margot home run and the G-Man Choice single, were both off the sinker. And the issue with the pitch was that he just wasn't really locating it well at all. It was a lot of middle-middle. Both of those hard hit balls were middle-middle. When you're, when you're throwing a sinker not at elite velocity, you have to be able to put it where you want to put it. And he didn't. I put a, a visual on Twitter a couple hours ago right after the game. It's a Stroma's hex bin from the game. If people who don't know, the hex bin is a stack cast um, data visualization tool where it puts hexagons in the strike zone. And the hexagon has shape and like gen- from blue to red and size, big to small, about how often pitches are being thrown there. And his biggest hexagon the entire game, dark red, was literally down the middle. Can't, can't be a good performance when you're thrown down the middle, especially when you're not Jacob deGrom. No, you can't win like that. But the other thing that Stroman struggled with today, much to my chagrin, was the slider just wasn't, it didn't have it today. The next two hardest hit balls off him, besides the G-Man and the Margo, were in, was another G-Man single, and then another Margo lineout. Those were both off the slider. The one thing we can put in our pocket about those is both those were actually good pitches. They were on the outer edge of the plate, so in, low and inside to the lefty G-Man, and just high and outside on the black to Margo, and they both got around on it, which, so you just got to tip your cap. Some look to the Castro pitch against Adamas. The one thing that did scare me about Stroman today was that he only got one whiff on that slider. Yeah, that's bad. That's, that's brutal. That's shocking. That's a pitch that has been around 30% whiff for him the entire season. And digging in a little bit deeper, all of Stroman's pitches were down in miles an hour today, about one, two ticks across the board, which okay. we've seen that from some of the Mets pitchers this weekend. So maybe that was just a usage thing, or maybe the guns in Tampa are not perfectly calibrated, but that's troubling. And on top of that, Stroman's slider had much less horizontal movement today than his yearly average, moving two inches less to be exact. So this is something, I'm not going to say it's a cause for concern, but it's something to monitor, that if Marcus Stroman comes out next week again, his slider is not sliding, I will will be concerned, and it's not, not a very good thing. No, and I think it's interesting that you talk about like the, the slider to G-Man, because I think that was one thing we've talked about, specifically you, is that Stroman has not been throwing the slider to lefties very much. No. And he did throw into G-Man, and that would make sense that the horizontal movement's down, mm-hmm. that his slider was getting hit hard, even yeah. if they were good pitches. If it's not moving yeah. that much, all it is is timing, really, at that point. Yeah, and basically, th- those two pitches that were hit by G-Man and Margot. Also, I just want to say, I love G-Man Choi. He's one of my favorite players in the league. He's hard not to this, or hard not to like. He's, awesome. he's great. He's like a teddy bear. And he, he's got the little, he's yeah. got the little shimmy, the he's little so the dance. He's got like short little arms. He's dope. Yeah. But those two pitches that those guys hit, if he was getting the two inches of movement more that he was averaging all season, those pitches are a little bit out of the reach. And those are probably our whiffs. And we're yeah. talking about a much different game. They just simply were not. No. Fuck Manuel Margot. I hate him. I hate him with a passion. Cool thing that happened today. Pat Mazika got his first major league hit, yeah. and he got a home run. Yeah, off Diego Castillo. Which is crazy, because he got a home run. <laughs> this guy continues to baffle every single person in the existence of the world. Shocking. His swing is like that of someone who's right-handed trying to swing lefty. It's pretty ugly. Sorry, Pat. It's just it is what it yeah. is. But you got a home run off Diego Castillo. He's got some of the filthiest stuff in baseball. Yeah, and it wasn't it wasn't a cheapo. 102, 102 miles an hour off the bat. Like, he got it out. He hit it hard. Yeah. He hit it hard. And it was just weird that he was our first option off the bench, but it's because we didn't have any other options. No, it's, it was infuriating, this series, to basically play the entire thing with a short bench. 
the Mets have made such a habit this season out of you having an incomplete roster of the major league team, and it's annoying as all hell. But I also don't know how they fixed it. Like today, losing Conforto and McNeil. You know, yeah, today was just bad luck. But the entire series, Jeff McNeil was on the roster. And it was pretty apparent, starting from Friday night, that the guy couldn't really move. I mean, even before the injury happened today, I mentioned to you, I said, he's probably hitting the IL after the game no matter what. I think I mentioned that to you. Okay, maybe that's what it was. But because he clearly can't play the field for no. whatever it seems like. So he's going to be useless these next 10 games because we're not playing American League teams. You got to put him on the IL. Yeah, the question becomes, why isn't he on the IL anyway? I get that you want Jeff McNeil's bat in the lineup, especially on Friday night against Glass. Now get a lefty in there that you trust. Yeah. But the guy, he's an incomplete baseball player right now. He's not like Kirk Gibson where he's coming up in the ninth inning of the World Series. This isn't like a must-win game here. No. We need our guys to be healthy for the long run more than anything else. And especially especially against a Rays team, you really do need all 25. You need Or 26 now, I guess it yeah. is technically. You need every single player to beat that team because they make you play the best possible baseball in order to win. Mets didn't do that from game one to game three. And there's no greater symptom of an incomplete roster. I can't believe it's taken us this long to mention it. Then James McCann being the designated hitter in a game. Yeah, that was uh can't happen. Not the way he's hitting this year. No way. We are officially on fly ball watch for James McCann. Because yes. he has a single digit number of fly balls since his only home run of the season that came on April 14th. What are we on, nine? Nine. We are more than a month. I don't think he hit one today because that number was going into today's game. I mean, our focus was mostly on the Knicks game once we yeah. saw this game get broken open. We were like, all right, let's go Knicks, fourth seed, hell yeah little inside info into the personal lives of Mark and James here, but he's just, uh, he continues to look horrendous. How, how can there be no one else in the major league roster that can be a better hitter against a left-handed pitcher than James McCann? There's just no, there's no, that's just poor roster construction. Where's Wilmer Flores at? <laughs> Let's go get Wilma. Oh, we get into the list for the, later in the show. Yeah, we could definitely. Yeah. I'll take Wilmer back. Um, No, I wouldn't, honestly. Uh, he doesn't have a spot, but I love Wilmer. So. Diaz came in. Non-safe situation. Not good. Doesn't he doesn't pitch well in them? I think no. that's just simple. It's not. He just. I don't know. Cold closing, as we've spoken about in this podcast, I've talked about it at length. It's just such an emotional exercise. It's hard to, to be jacked up to like do your thing when you're down by five in the ninth inning. And you know when I've said he's at his best? Jacked up. When he's jacked up. World Baseball Classic, Edwin Diaz. You knew I was bringing it back. I know. To that. I hate it every time you do. I love it. But oh. that's we've seen that a little bit from him this year. Non-safe situation. I'm not really looking too much into what he did today. No, it just wasn't sharp. It happens. Now it's going to make his season numbers look much worse. Yes. But whatever. Again, have your shit game when it doesn't matter. I'm really okay with it. Yeah, I'll, but basically the only thing to pull from this game and now to get into like more of what we're going to long form discuss here is that this team needs a shot in the arm badly. Yeah. Our roster, our roster of hitters, which we did not expect to be pressed this hard this early, is in deep, deep need of some help. Really badly. We were scouring scouring through yeah. the minor leagues trying to figure out who can come in because it looks like McNeil's hitting the IL, Conforto's hitting the IL, JD Davis is doing rehab, nothing really on Nimmo. He's missed his games. Well, Nimmo still... Nimmo was pulled off his rehab assignment because he continued to have pain. So he's yeah. he's down until further notice. Nothing on Guillaume. Nothing on about the guy. The last thing I heard was that he could field but he couldn't pick up a bat and swing. That's not good. That's not good. So we are without four or five guys that are legitimate cogs in this team. And Almora. Don't forget Almora. And Almora. Yeah. So six now for a legitimate period of time. Yeah. So we are trying to figure out who can come up. The names that we have in AAA is not great. Drew Jackson, David Thompson, Wilfredo Tovar, Brandon Drury. But none of those really scream anything that should be like 
more than hopefully bench pieces to fill in, but we need starters right yeah. now. This is still a symptom of the Brody Van Wagen Mets where our AAA infield and our AAA bats in general are a complete shit show. Yeah. It's been years like this that we really, besides the prospects that have called up and actually succeeded, but it really has been a few years since we had any of the big names come up. Dom yeah. and Pete really striking me as the two last ones. Yeah. We are in a pretty big cavern of hitter development right now in the Mets. We have a lot of very exciting bats in the lower minors. Yes, we have some great young players. Yeah, but there's there's a real lack of depth in the upper minors of this team, and right now it's beginning to show. Yeah, which is like funny because truly it has taken an insane amount of injuries for this depth to be like exposed because... Like we said, we loved that we were starting to build an organization. Peraza, VR, Pilar, all these guys are great backups. But now, but now we're starting to lose even more players, and it's getting shown. We don't have the depth like the Dodgers still. We're getting close. We're getting there. But the AAA team has nothing. It's probably going to be Khalil Lee. He's probably going to get called up here for Conforto yeah. or Malik Smith, which at that point, I'd rather just see Khalil Lee. Definitely. And probably Drury as well, because we need yeah. a guy who can play second and third. And there's no one else who could do it. But we still have, what, two other guys that need to be filled in for, yeah, even literally. in that case? like and even so, we still need bench bats. We still play in the National League without a designated hitter. These problems were masked these last couple games because of the designated hitter. Yeah. We are going to be in for rude awakening our next series against the Braves if that is not the case. It's, uh, it's interesting. The depth right now is not there. Which leads us to our next little segment here because we got to talk about who's available. We got to start looking elsewhere, especially we don't really have the information on what Conforto or McNeil's injuries are. We don't know how long some of these guys are going to be out. We're in the scenario of we might need to go out and find a bat. The free agent market's not very strong, but on the no. trade market, there are some pieces that would probably require almost nothing being traded for mid-level prospects that we could get. James came up with a list of five. Chris Bryant, of course, would be the number one guy we want, but we're trying to be realistic here. I don't think we're getting Chris Bryant right now. I don't know if we ever will, but there are some guys that are realistic options for the Mets right now. Before we even get to the trade guys, I knew the free agent infielder market was barren today when I was looking up recently available players, and Daniel Descalso caught my eye, and I saw that the Twins had picked him up last week, and I went, shit! And you looked up Jed Jerko, who is <laughs> slated to be the coach of an MLB yeah. draft team. Uh-huh. And I was looking up, um, who was the other guy? It was some Logan Forsythe, who just got picked up by the Brewers. These are the names. And I, Eduardo Nunez. I said, yeah. how about Eduardo Nunez? He's playing in China. These are the names. Not good. Not great. No. So a couple possible trade candidates that I pulled up. I looked at some bad teams who have a relative amount of infield depth and some my, at least mildly exciting prospects coming up the pipe. I think Freddie Galvis is a pretty interesting trade option, a guy who I vouch for in the offseason. He can play short at a high level. He could play second. He could play third very well. He's not a good hitter by any means. He doesn't walk. No. He's a put-the-ball-in-play guy. Yeah, which, whatever. He's just another version of Peraza, I guess. The, Blue, the Orioles, I'm sure, will give him to you for next to nothing. They have a pretty exciting bat, either in double-A or triple-A, Terran Vavra. Yeah. Decent guy. So I think they would probably like to see what they have in him while they're in, once again, a lost season. I think another pretty exciting option is Nico Goodrum from the Detroit Tigers, who Mark, clearly based on his facial and shoulder expressions, is not a fan of. I wince. I just like, again, I know we're looking for depth. Yeah, and the, listen to the other guys on this list. I think yeah. Goodrum might be the most exciting. Goodrum's value, as you told me earlier when we were prepping for this, is that he plays multiple positions. He can play everywhere. He basically plays seven positions. He can't pitch and he can't catch, but yeah. he has played everywhere else in the last three seasons for the Tigers. Not super well. He's actually in the midst of a pretty nice hot streak right now where he's found some power. He still has some speed. He's not striking out the astronomical levels he once has, but I think the Tigers are a team that also needs, they also suck again. They're nowhere close to pulling themselves out of the doldrums they've been in since Dave Dombrowski blew that team up and didn't win a World Series. But they have Willie Castro, who's been on the roster, who's been really struggling this year, not an everyday role. 
they need to see what they have in him. And I think getting rid of Goodrum is a good way to find out. And again, we would be able to give next to nothing to get him. He's running out of his team control. I think Charlie Culberson, an old friend, is another decent option. Because he could, another guy, he can play everywhere in the diamond. He knows how to take a walk. He knows how to pinch hit, which we've seen as Mets fans a few Kills times. Us. He's killed us like that. He's on the Rangers now. It's kind of weird not seeing him stand next to his twin, Dansby Swanson. I know. It's so weird. He yeah. literally, like, you, you're you far enough away from them. You go, that's the same guy. Yeah, definitely. And he's in, like, a quasi-starting role for the Rangers right now, filling in for Brock Holt, which is hysterical that Charlie Culberson's filling in for Brock Holt. And I guess you could probably also throw Brock Holt on yeah, this list, was, too, yeah, as another guy. You could probably get either of those guys basically for free. They're yeah. the Spider-Man meme of each other where they play every single position. Yeah, just not yet. Or it's, it's the uh, Pam with uh, Creed. And it's it's the same it's picture. The same picture. <laughs> but he's, I don't want to say an exciting option, but a possible option that we could get for free. Really fun option that really came to me watching the series is Joey Wendell. Because the Rays, I'm sure, are dying to trade Joey Wendell. With Wander Franco, as you mentioned before, popping up in the minor leagues. And Vidal Brujan also smacking the shit out of the ball. And it seems like they like Padlo. Yeah, Pad, I think I kind of like Padlo's decent prospect. They have another guy in AAA, Taylor Walls. Who they love, who's a glove. Yeah. He's he's Joey Wendell. Yeah, big glove guy. And they also have Xavier Edwards in AA. Who's who, sick. Also sick with the glove and really fast and very good athletic. He's kind of like Vidal Brujan two years ago. But the Rays have infield depth out the wazoo, and they would take probably anything for Joey Wendell. Anything in the Rays is probably a 17-year-old throws 100 who's going to be a Cy Young candidate in five years. Yeah. Which whoever we traded them for, uh, what was the guy's name? What was the uh, long relievers guy we got for two years ago? Oh, Erasmo Ramirez? No, no. the guy from the Blue Jays, too. Oh, 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 Wilmer Font. Wilmer, Wilmer Font. Wilmer Font. We... Just everyone on Twitter be on watch for whoever the 17-year-old we gave up for Wilmer Font because three years' time will be a top 100 prospect and there'll be LOL Mets all over again. Of course. Yes, but Joey Wendell is a guy who's going to be on the block. He's certainly already firmly on the block. He's probably yeah. been on the block since the Rays acquired him. And it's not by any reason because he isn't good or they... No, he's a fine player. They simply don't need him. Yeah. And the Rays always are trying to maximize their value of players. We saw him trick Blake, Blake Snell, who's a Cy Young caliber guy. Joey Wendell is for sure... What's the word? Expendable. Expendable, yeah. yeah. And he's above replacement level. So it'll be a, it'll be a win win situation. Another guy who's like also mildly exciting, kind of like Wendell Light, is Eric Gonzalez from the Pirates. He can't really hit, but he's hitting a little bit this year. He plays a couple positions on the infield, decent enough. He plays shortstop, not well, but he plays it. But these are the kinds of guys that the Mets have to be looking at right now because our infield depth is sparse. And if Jeff McNeil winds up on the shelf for a while and Guillaume isn't healthy for the foreseeable future, we need a warm body. Bad. Yeah, because. The, the options are not great. I, you know, Wilfredo Tovar, I think, was a Mets prospect, oh a top prospect in the Mets system like 10 years ago. He's bad. And he's somehow still on this team. I don't know how, but he's not good. I, I don't know anything about him that is a plus. Drew Jackson and David Thompson are actually creative players. Yeah, that's, Those uh, are fake. that's like when you're 25 years into a franchise yeah. and they just give you names so that it can actually be said like audibly. Like, now batting, David. Thompson like it, you hear the pause because it's not it's not a real name the show just uses those guys to fill out rosters and they don't have the full rights to fill out the minor league roster that's the, who those guys are. and the Mets happen to have them yeah the Mets have both of them two copies of the same guy it's bad I want to bring up our bad Mets take of the week today it's bad Mike Puma gave a shockingly bad take and that's impressive for Mike Puma because he's an artisan of bad takes and he has been for quite a long time Mike Puma's thought that Sandy Alderson should call up and I quote his old friend Jay Bruce. Jay Bruce, who retired from the Yankees this season, playing every single day because he said, I am just, I'm bad. He retired on a Sunday morning he and said, played. He woke up and said, yeah, I can't you know, do this anymore. Can't do it anymore. It's time to hang it up. Like, I suck. Also, from a depth standpoint, Jay Bruce doesn't really help the issues the team has. Yeah, we need He's another. He's first baseman. Why the fuck do the Mets need another first The Mets first base is the only place where the Mets are still strong at right now, depth-wise. Yes. The only place. Mike Puma 
saw Michael Conforto and Jeff McNeil get hurt, a second baseman and a right fielder, and he said, you need to get Jay Bruce. That is brain dead. I, Mike Puma, like you said, is the king of bad takes. The guy's an idiot. He's I will not the say king. that. We have some other kings. I said an artisan. Okay, yeah, artisan. He's, he's an idiot, though. He's part of the whole Mets beat that loves to be negative and try to find anything wrong with this team at any moment. So I just don't like the guy to begin with. You should stop being able to write about baseball. Take his card away. Does this guy, does he have voting rights for any sort of award? 100%. That's all of despicable. Them. That is disgusting that he gets to share his opinion with people and people care. In Mike Puma's defense, his knowledge on the game in general lags back a couple of years. Yeah. So he probably still thinks Jay Bruce is a decent hitting corner outfielder. Do you think he knows that Jay Bruce retired this year? 50-50. Okay. That's uh, yes, because the Yankees are in Mike Puma's periphery. That's true, yeah. yeah so but did he, he know that he retired because he's playing so poorly? Or did he think that Jay Bruce was like, maybe got a little like nicked and bruised and was like, ah, I'm Mark, done. didn't you hear this 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 league's about relationships? That's he's true. Got a little, Jay Bruce and Sandy Alderson have a nice relationship. They're friends. That's, as, that's as what makes, a, said, that's what makes a winning team is signing old players that are washed and can't be used by a team that needed someone. So... Oh, Mike Puma. It just Mets Twitter in general this weekend has been pretty horrible. It's very much, you know, the SpongeBob meme of where the papers are on fire. It's like, guys, the Rays are one, a good team. Yeah, Very, awesome. very good team. They're three games above 500. Defending pennant winner. Defending pennant winner. This is what they do. They live and die with close games. And just like the Mets kind of, they really haven't even been playing particularly good baseball yet no. this year. They're good. But the irony that kills me about this series is the most winnable game was against their ace. Yeah, I know. This series looks and feels so much better if we were able to steal just one game. Yep. But just the fact getting swept, it kills. Yeah, I think like it was a little bit of a gut punch too seeing Stroman pitch so poorly because I think for yep. the fans, that was the one game. Yep. Like you said, on paper, we probably circle and go, we got this one. Yeah. So to lose the games in the way that we did and then have Stroman come out and just kind of be not very good today, that hurt. That hurt a little bit. But Mets fans, we need to stay positive because yeah. we... Everyone perk up. This, is, this team is still good. We have our issues, but the, the National League East Sucks. is not particularly good. I think the Phillies got swept by the Jays, I think. I don't know how the last game ended. I, I, Chase Anderson was pitching, so they, the Jays better have won. Add him, you know, he's on the list of pitchers I'd like to be able to face. Jays did win. I want to throw this in there. Joey Lucchese is also on that list as well of pitchers I think I could get a hit off of. I could but, try. Yeah, I definitely sit, would try. Sit Cherv. The tra- yeah, sit Cherv. <laughs> oh, no, 90. Tough. This team's fine. We're okay. We're fine. Do I feel as good as I did last week after, you know, being the Diamondbacks and Orioles? No. And, of course, that's going to happen. The Rays are a better team. You know that it's super negative when KFC Barstool is standing on, you know, on top of the mountain saying, guys, it's It's okay. The season's not over. This team is good. Like, let's all take a deep breath. And he's one of the most negative Mets fans out there. So there's nothing to take positive necessarily out of the series. But I also don't think that we should be, you know, the sky is falling. No, the sky is not falling down. We have so many reinforcements waiting in the wings. We just need to bridge this gap until we get back to DeGrom, Syndergaard, Lugo, Carrasco. We just need to get there now, Conforto and McNeil. The month of May has been the kryptonite for the Mets the last few years, especially the Callaway era. May was kind of when this team started to fall off. We've already got more wins, I feel like, this month than we did in 2019 in the month of May. So this team's better. This team's good. We're going to figure it out. McCann needs to hit a little bit more. Lindor's going to hit a little bit more for sure. That's a guarantee. McCann, I don't know yet. It's going to be okay. We're going to be good. Get through this month play 500 baseball, a little above 500, and things are going to be okay. 
You want to take down to our uh, preview of the Braves series? Yeah, let's quickly. take it down to the preview of the Braves. I kind of forgot that we do that. I was getting ready to <laughs> outro it here, and we got to talk about the Braves series, yeah, we, which we're sticking down south. Gonna be it's a very humid week in Mets land at Tampa, at Atlanta, at Miami. These next between the last series and the next two, but this is an important series with the Atlanta Braves right now. Walking into this place wounded, Jacob Degrom's not going to be pitching the series again to save us. Strom is not going to be pitching again this series. We need to find some victories against a struggling Braves team and assert our dominance. Dude, also, fuck MLB. We're playing the Braves for the first time in May when we're at our absolute worst. Yeah, right? Ridiculous. Played this three times already. Yeah, nuts. But Stupid. who do we got on the mound? What's what's the matchups here? Tomorrow's going to be Taiwan in a night game, which I don't know how that's going to go. I don't know. He's our day man. And Tuesday, we think we actually might get a debut for Mr. Thomas Sapuki, who I referenced either last episode or two episodes ago, saying that he was going to pitch before June. So nailed another one. Good take by James. But if not Sapuki, we're going to get Yamamoto, who, for whatever reason, pitched, I believe, Friday or Thursday. Yeah. So three days rest. I don't know how we're not in cahoots with Syracuse, making sure that Yamamoto is lined up on the days that we're going to need starters in New York. It's very dumb. So we could either be getting a a Yamamoto on three days rest, which would be a heavy dose of Gazelman afterwards, or Zapuki, who probably also be only going four or five innings with a heavy dose of Gazelman. I'd I'd at least like to see Zapuki. He's on the the 40-man, right? So it's not even like we're kicking somebody off to give this guy a shot. Oh, and the guy has a pretty decent scouting report. He's not a top 100 prospect by any means, but he's going to come in as a, seems like a ready-made pitcher. Do you, uh, and then what, what's game three? Game three is Mr. Peterson. Oh, okay. Peterson's yeah. back, which. Yeah. We luckily have an off day Thursday, so we can recuperate, hopefully, with the four-man rotation and yeah. get to Jacob deGrom again, because we need that very badly. Need him badly, for sure. He is the wheel that pushes his team forward, even though that we tend to lose games that he starts it's not because of his doing. No. It's just the team kind of it's just collapses. Like, Jacob Degrom's like a warm blanket for this rotation. We know he's there. It's very comfortable. We have it. But just quickly to give a little scouting report on Zabuki before we get to it. Yeah, he's not blowing anyone away with a great fastball. It's a good fastball. It's not a great fastball. Sit mid nineties. His command is something that he struggled with in the past. Walks have been an issue for this guy. Even just this year in AAA, he's thrown nine innings. He's walked. He's walked four guys. You don't love to see that, but whatever. The thing that he has that's better is the curveball. Thomas Zabuki drops a hammer. So that's what we're going to need to get through a couple of innings against the Braves. But I'm pretty, I'm excited to watch Thomas Sabuki. I like seeing debuts. Uh, from the from the start of this season, I've said if the Mets want to win the East, you got to beat the Braves. Got to yeah. beat the Braves. And until they do, I had the Braves as the best team in the division. I know that sounds a little crazy now seeing what we've seen, but Mets got to beat the Braves in order to win this division. I stand by that. This week is going to be a big test, just like yeah. this Rays series was a test. We kind of got, you know, flat on our faces here. Pantsed. We got pants a little bit, but the Braves are also not playing good baseball right now. So there is seriously no excuse. I mean, there is. We're depleted. But also, you got to beat this Braves team. You want to be one of the best teams in this division. You have to beat them. You got to get the job done. And we're catching the Braves' two best pitchers, the two best healthy pitchers coming out here. Freed tomorrow against Taiwan is going to really set the tone for the series. We got to hit Max Freed. Got to get to him. Charlie Morton on Tuesday. And then Drew Smiley, who we should eviscerate on Wednesday evening. That's all I really got here. We got to win some games. Got to win some games. You had uh, something that we've said that we've wanted to do for a while. We got roasted, or yeah. you got roasted, I, I got guess, roasted. I on uh, the Apple ratings and yeah. reviews, which, by the way, if you guys are listening on Apple, drop us a five-star rating if you're enjoying it. Drop us a review. really does help out the podcast, but Definitely. see, you could leave you could leave a funny one. Oh, yeah. Have, I'll, we're not gonna... I'll, I'll say it right now. I don't remember the kid's name, and we don't have maybe, maybe an older man. I don't know. I'm not going to assume anyone's age or gender here. Yeah. That was a mistake, but... He said, I love this podcast. Best med podcast on the thing. Mark, I think it's really funny how Mark speaks really well and James can't pronounce his T's. 
which is which funny. is astronomically true. I'm bad. At, <laughs> I'm bad at enunciating. The T's are not your strong suit. No. But yeah, you know, you give us some reviews. We'll give some people some shout outs on here yeah. every once in a while because please roast me. Yeah, you guys have been listening and you know really enjoying it. So we want to show some love back. Another way we're going to do that is we do. I put out on Twitter. I messed up. Uh, uh, ask us a question for this episode. We got some really good ones. I think we're going to limit it to one, and we're gonna we're gonna give you our opinion on it because we like to hear what you guys think. So there was a couple questions that were about Luis Rojas. He's kind of the hot topic here. So I'm not necessarily going to read one in particular, but is Luis Rojas getting too much hate? Is he on the hot seat? The whole Luis Rojas situation, at least in my eyes, I'm definitely critical of him. I get it. I'm definitely super tough. I don't think he's on the hot seat right now. I think it would be a little crazy with the team in first place, not even playing good baseball to say that he's on the hot seat. But I think you do have to keep an eye out for Luis Rojas. We saw him sleeping in the eighth inning in the David Peterson game. That's something he has done in the past. We need to be a little bit sharper out there. We need to be making those decisions better. But I think also even at the end of the game, you really saw him like coaching. That was like one of the first times I feel like I saw him actively coaching, and I liked it. I, I, it seemed like he was on top of the game. Things like he was thinking. Things didn't go our way, but the dude was active. I think we see that Luis Rojas more, and we're going to start to see the Mets really taking to it. It could just be something we don't see either because the camera's just not on the coach as much. Those are nice even kill takes. I like that. Friday night was the first time all season I had been very upset with Rojas. Yeah. The first time where I thought he did something that was markedly incorrect that cost the Mets games. He's made some questionable decisions with the bullpen this year, but we never really know where those decisions are coming from or if he's just taking cues from people above him. That, leaving David Peterson in to face Kevin Padlow was the first time I was like, damn, that was really dumb. That really cost us. And then, like, even the McKenzie h on Saturday... That's not great. I don't like that. But he didn't really have many other options. This no. Roster's depleted. And like when you're paying a guy like McCann like $40 million and it's yeah, a, a, it's either McCann or Mazika really. That's what it kind of came down to. Okay, I get it. Not my choice, but there's a path to it. We're going to be critical of Rojas. Everyone's going to be critical of him. I don't think he's on the hot seat. I think that would be unfair to the guy about what, 100 games into his managerial career, especially when he got thrown into the fire last year when he wasn't supposed to be the guy. Short spring training, everything going on. I do think that the players like him. I don't think he's a bad manager. I just don't necessarily think if he, he's a good one yet. He's got to prove something to me. He hasn't proved it yet, but he hasn't made me say someone else has got to be there because I also don't know who that guy would be. How many people are very good at their jobs after their first 100, 100 days of work? Not many. Not many. You would have fired a lot of managers yeah, in still, Major League Baseball. He's still learning right now. Like even I've been critical of a guy like Don Mattingly because I just I didn't think I don't think he's a particularly good manager. But look at what he did with the Marlins last year. You give guys time. You give them a chance to really make their impact on a team. After this season, let's pretend something goes wrong. Okay, fine. I get it. But right now, I think it would be way too early to put him on the hot seat. And then who else is coming in here? Nobody. Nobody. I have no clue. So, no. My answer, bottom line, Luis Rojas, I don't think he's on the hot seat. This team's not in trouble, like we said all podcast long. We're not in trouble. We're in a good spot, which leads us perfectly to the outro here. The end of episode number 15. Look at us. We've made it 15 episodes in here to a podcast. That's pretty good. Thank you guys so much for the amazing support. You know where to listen to us, Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts. You can watch us on YouTube. Just search Mets the Podcast. Twitter and Instagram, Mets Up. Super easy. You can follow James, Jeter Had No Range, me, Giraffe Neck Mark. That's where we're going to wrap up episode number 15, guys. Thank you so much for listening, watching, whatever you do. Appreciate you, and we'll see you next time for an episode after the Brave series. Bye. Thanks for listening.